The Money Show. The Africa Business Report. Victor Khomaswana. Do we have Victor? We're going to get Victor Khomaswana with our Africa Business Report this evening. And uh, Victor, long-running host of this particular segment, and he contributes to us regularly now. He is the author of a fabulous book called Africa Bounces Back. He's also the executive director at the University of Limpopo in Marketing and Communication. Um, and he is with us with the Africa Business Report. So at half past seven, Eyewitness News, of course, that's followed by the uh, our investment school. And tonight, the turn of Maya many names. That's what I called her. Uh, Maya Fisher French. Um, she couldn't choose, so she took both. Uh, Maya Fisher French, and uh, she runs a fabulous website called Maya on Money, and she really is on top of her game from the perspective of personal finance, personal finance writing. She's won the Financial Journalist of the Year in the personal finance category for years and years and years and years and years, and given nobody else a chance. She's not very caring and sharing that way, but she's very good and caring and sharing with the joys of information our africa business report this evening um and it's, it's quite interesting isn't it nairobi um is seeing a huge amount of protest and we've seen lots of protests here victor um all around uber and ride sharing and a bit of a rebellion happening in kenya at the moment good evening bruce and the problem is if it happens in kenya and materializes it's likely to spill over to tanzania dar es salaam particularly and probably the other east african countries I I know that Australia had a similar protest. That's the only other country where I know that the the adjustments of the commission from twenty five percent to twenty to eighteen was ever affected. In South Africa I think it's a range now, twenty to twenty five percent. But what happened the drivers protested and said, Look, we are working for Uber here and all they are doing is an app. We are we own, we buy the cars, we maintain them and all they do is give us an app. We don't think they are worth 25%. And and then the government intervened, agreed with them, sort of agreed with them. And, and as a result, you are seeing this this kind of, of adjustment to 18% that, that's, that's looming. And I'm just worried about what it means for the investments because Kenya has been losing a few international investors, Bruce, including GlaxoSmithKline, and they were citing business environment. So with countries like Rwanda beginning to compete for that international headquarters space, with Ethiopia opening up to international investors and offering 100 million people, it means now Kenya is no longer the automatic go-to place in that block, and, and that could pose problems for them, considering they are over-indebted after the, the debt they took building the standard gauge rail to connect Mombasa and, and Nairobi. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and you wonder whether or not the, the Uber drivers will shoot themselves in the foot, of course, because, yes, it's only just an app, but it's an app that has you know, created the most extraordinary revolution in transport and the huge intellectual capital and the massive investment that's gone into its development. I don't think Uber's profitable yet, and this is a decade after it started. But, hey, I mean, you know, sometimes you have to lose something to really appreciate its presence in your life in the first place. Um, talk to me. It's not necessarily the case, Bruce. You know why? In South Africa, you and I drive to work. In, in Nairobi, 
many people have drivers. So I think that the, the, the drivers feel a little emboldened because even before Uber, they were doing quite sizable business. It's very common to have a regular guy, middle management, say my driver is picking me up and dropping <laughs> off. So maybe that's the reason they are so emboldened. You and I are in the wrong place doing the wrong job, Victor. We need drivers. That's what we need. We need a driver. Um, certainly, it's, yeah, the back of an Uber is a productive place if you apply your mind to it and the road is smooth. Um, now, talk to me about Nigeria and the Chinese and a deep water port that's just been commissioned, that's just been completed. In Lekki, you know, the day we realized just how big a deal Nigeria is, Bruce, might be too late for some of us. Of course, if you are MTN, you knew this long before, an average person knew, but there are so many things that are happening. I know you know a lot about the refinery that Dangote is building. So, among other things, the Chinese who were brought in to build this port, remember, on that, in that side of the Gulf of Guinea, Bight of Benin, as they call it, there are many other ports, including in, in, in Lome, at Lome in Togo, and Ghana is not to be left behind, but just the west coast of Africa is doing so much, but you thought the Chinese were just on the East Coast. There you have it. They are doing this because Nigeria knows that its role as the largest economy on the continent means it's closer to the U.S., it's closer to Europe, and they are not taking it slow in in becoming that port of preference, that point of entry. They know that Angola had the backlog and Namibia was not quite ever going to challenge. So they are asserting themselves because they know that intra-Africa trade, Bruce, means integrating Nigeria and the coastal countries like Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire with the inland or landlocked countries like Burkina Faso and Niger and connecting them to the North African countries. You know they build a pipeline connecting to Morocco to sell associated gas to, to Spain. So they are, they, are, they are investing in big infrastructure projects because they understand that intra-Africa trade is going to require that level of big infrastructure projects to, to be in place. And you mentioned Nagote just a moment ago. Of course, Aliko Dangote is Africa's richest man. Uh, he made his money out of primarily cement, and his cement sales are flying. Just to give you an idea, I, I used to work for one of the listed companies in cement, cement companies in South Africa. And at that time, Bruce, not long ago, 2013, Dangote had one factory, one cement factory in Nigeria. It wasn't the only one, but that one factory produced more than all South Africa's cement producers combined. It just gives you the idea of how big he is. He's got a factory in, in, in Ethiopia. He's got a factory in northern Zambia. He's got something in Zimbabwe. He's got a business in Cameroon. He's got, obviously, in Nigeria, many, many factories. And here in South Africa, we know he makes the Pago cement. So he is not a lightweight at all. But he's just showing you that the sales are going up. You're asking if the Chinese are finishing a deep sea port in Nigeria. He's building a refinery. And all those railroads and ports and harbors and airports are going up. It's all one ingredient they need. And Dangote is not smiling all the way to the bank. He is the bank. He is the bank, absolutely. Thank you, Victor Homeswana, Africa Business Report this evening here on The Money Show.